We are in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, a message I've entitled Compelling Love, Compelling Love. But before I get to that, today is Super Bowl Sunday, right? And it's Valentine's week. And so I was thinking somebody who loves football, this is like the ultimate yeah, because it's not only football Sunday, but it's love week, right? So if you love football, that's great. Now, some of you also know that I'm not into sports. I don't have a team. I'm not rooting for anybody tonight, so don't try to read too much into this story. But there was a teacher in San Francisco, and she was asking her students who their favorite football team was. And when she asked if it were the uh, San Francisco 49ers, every hand in class went up, except for one little girl. And the teacher asked the girl who she liked. She said, I like the Kansas City Chiefs. The teacher asked her, well, why do you like the Chiefs? The girl replied, well, my grandparents are Chiefs fans. My parents are Chiefs fans. My brothers and sisters are Chiefs fans. So I'm a Chiefs fan. The teacher said, well, suppose your entire family were idiots. What would that make you? The little girl thought a moment. She said, oh, a 49ers fan, I guess. Let's look at compelling love this morning. First of all, looking at saving love. Saving love. And now the word love as it's used here where it says, for the love of Christ constrains us. That is the Greek word agape. Agape love means God's unconditional love. This is love no matter what. This is love with no strings attached. Nothing can be done or said to change this love. This is how God loves us in Christ, with agape love. Again, unconditional, no strings attached, love no matter what. Nothing can change this love. Agape love is not a love that you fall out of. It's permanent. In fact, it's the basis for our eternal security. When God says He loves us and He saves us, He doesn't later fall out of love with us and change His mind. It's permanent, right? It's permanent. So it is the basis for our eternal security. And Christ's agape love for us compels us to salvation. When we understand his love for us, that compels us to salvation. Now, I'm not talking about the moral influence theory. Those of you that have studied theology might say, well, that sounds like the moral influence theory. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about Romans 5.8 that says this, but God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Upon God's bestowal of his saving grace on us, we are overwhelmed and mystified by his unfathomable love for us. Let me read that again. Upon God's bestowal of his saving grace on us, we are overwhelmed and mystified by his unfathomable love for us. And so we realize how much God loves us. And because of that, his love for us compels us to be saved. Indeed, Christ died for us because of his agape love for us. Because he had this unconditional love for us, because he has this, this love no matter what, this love with no strings attached, this permanent love, because he has this agape love for us, that's why he died for us. You see, he knew what was facing every person. That is eternal separation from God in hell. He knew what was facing every person. And so because he loved us, he didn't want us to face that certain eventuality. He not only that, he knew we were all dead in our sins. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 2.1, And you hath he quickened or made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. And so he knew what we were facing, eternal separation. He knew we were all dead in sin, unable to help ourselves. In fact, you know, Jesus was known for having compassion on the helpless. And certainly that's the case when he looks out at us in our sinfulness. He says, yeah, they can't help themselves, but I can help them. And so he certainly did. Jesus exhibited selfless, others-serving love. When he died on the cross for us, he exhibited selfless, others-serving love. 
Now, don't misunderstand. He didn't love us because we already loved him. That's certainly not the case. Look what the Bible says in 1 John 4.19. We love him because he first loved us. And he didn't die for us because of our love for him. Look at 1 John 4.10. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And so we see here saving love, agape love, love no matter what, unconditional love, love with no strings attached, love that is permanent, saving love. Why can we be saved? Because God loves us. Saving love. Secondly, though, I want us to look at serving love. Christ came not to be served, excuse me, yes, not to be served, but to serve. Look what he said of himself in John 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto or to be served, but to minister to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus set the example for us in serving. He set the example for us in serving. For instance, as Jesus went around throughout his ministry teaching, he was serving, right? As he went around healing, he was serving. As he went around feeding, he was serving. Even on that fateful night when he washed his disciples' feet, what was he doing? He was serving. And so Jesus came not to be served but to serve, and he set the example for us in serving and being a servant. And certainly we know that Jesus provided the ultimate service for us, and that was his own death. He died on the cross to provide for us a service to pay for our sins so that we could be forgiven and spend eternity in heaven. Well, our love for Christ compels us to serve. Our love for Christ compels us to serve, to serve him. First of all, how? By worshiping. I showed you that slide too soon, but there it is. Uh, people together worshiping. We show our love for him. Uh, we serve him. We call this a worship service. And so one of the ways that we serve him is through worshiping. We also serve him by taking an active, faithful role in his church, whether that's praying or attending or giving or helping in some way. And so our love for Christ compels us to serve him, but our love for Christ compels us to serve others as well. In fact, that was Paul's argument to the Corinthians. If you look up in verse 13 of chapter 5 there, he says, For whether we be beside ourselves, it's to God, or whether we be sober, it's for your cause. He says, we love you, and that's why we're serving you, and that's why we're trying to help you, and that's why we're telling you about Jesus and so on. Paul said our love for Christ compels us not only to serve him but to serve others. And by the way, when we serve others, that is directly related to serving Christ. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 25 and verse 40? He said, whatsoever you've done unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. You've done it unto me. So when we serve others, that's directly related to serving Christ. So how do we serve others? We can serve others by helping them in their time of need. We can serve others by sharing our faith with them. Look up in verse 11 of chapter 5 there. Paul says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. What's he talking about? He's talking about sharing our faith. Because uh, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of, of the loving God or the mighty God, uh, because of that we persuade men. We share our faith to tell others about Jesus Christ and how they can avoid eternal judgment in hell and how they can spend eternity in heaven with him. Paul was compelled to share his faith. He was compelled to share his faith for several reasons. First of all, because of Jesus' affection. We already talked about that, how Jesus loves us. Uh, God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were at sinners, Christ died for us. And so Paul was compelled to share his faith, first of all, because of Jesus' affection. Secondly, because of people's situation. As we already looked at, uh, we are spiritually dead. Every person remains spiritually dead until infused with resurrection life from Christ by grace through faith. The third reason Paul shared his faith 
was because of God's condemnation. As we read in verse 11, the terror of the Lord. Your scriptures might say the fear of the Lord. You might say, well, that means respect. Well, it means both. Not only respect and honor, it means to be afraid. And why would somebody be afraid of the Lord? It is because eternal hell awaits all who do not believe. Hell is a real place of torment. Hell is a real place of pain. And so Paul says, I am compelled to share my faith, first of all, because of Jesus' affection. Secondly, because of people's situation. Thirdly, because of God's condemnation. There's a fourth reason Paul said, I'm I'm compelled to share my faith. That's because of God's provision. Christ died for all. Look back to our text here in verse 15. Verse 14. We thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves. And so because of God's provision, Paul said, I'm compelled to share because God's provision. Christ died for all. Now, don't get lost on this. Jesus' death is sufficient to cover every sin of every person of all times. But his death is effectual only to those who believe. Just because Jesus died 2,000 years ago That doesn't help you unless you believe. You must appropriate his sacrifice by grace through faith. And so if you just think, well, yeah, I know some guy, Jesus, died on the cross and I heard he paid for my sins, so that's good enough. Uh, I just, that's a fact, you know. I'm not putting any faith in that. That doesn't do you any good. His death is sufficient to cover your sins and everybody else's. But it's only made effectual by grace through faith. So Paul said, well, I'm compelled to share my faith. First of all, because of Jesus' affection, because he loves us. Secondly, because of people's situation. They're dead. Thirdly, because of God's condemnation. They're going to hell if I don't. Fourthly, because of God's provision. Christ died for all. And lastly, because of God's salvation. Jesus died, but he rose again, and so shall we. Look in verse 15. And that he died for all, that they which should live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Jesus rose again, and so shall we. He defeated death, and so shall all of his. But never forget that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You must believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins, that Jesus was buried for your sins, and the third day Jesus rose again from the dead for you. If you want to be saved, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So Paul was compelled to share his faith for all these reasons and more because of Jesus' affection, because of people's situation, because of God's condemnation, because of God's provision, because of God's salvation. And we are commanded to evangelize. We are commanded to share our faith, but his love compels us to do so. Just like Paul, his love for us, God's love for us, compels us to share our faith. In fact, Jesus' final words are to be our first priority. What were Jesus' final words? These are some of Jesus' final words right here in Mark 16, 15. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Jesus' final words are to be our first priority. And we know that the gospel is for every people, every tribe, every nation. How do we know that? Because the apostle John, he got a glimpse of heaven. He saw who was gathered around the throne in heaven. And he saw people from all all over the place. Here it is in Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9. After this I beheld and lo a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. The gospel is for every people, every tribe, every nation. And so we're commanded to evangelize. We're commanded to share our faith. But we're compelled by the love of Christ just 
like Paul was. And so we see, when we look at compelling love, we see saving love, first of all. Secondly, we see serving love. But thirdly, I want us to look at separating love, separating love. We are compelled to live for the one who died for us. Our love for Christ inspires us to live holy lives. Look back at verse 15. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. And so we are compelled to live for the one who died for us. Our love for Christ inspires us to live holy lives. Now, what does that mean to live a holy life? Well, the word holy means to be set apart. It means to be separate, okay? Now, we know that God is holy. That means he's set aside. He's set apart. And we are to be holy like God is. 1 Peter 1.16 says, You be holy even as I am holy, saith the Lord. And then Paul picks up on that theme here in 2 Corinthians 6.17. Look what he says. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Our genuine love sets us apart from the rest of the world. And so we are to live a, a, a life of separation. We're to live different from, set apart from everybody else out there. We're to live holy lives. But one of, the, one of the flags for that, one of the banners for that is our genuine love for us. That will set us apart from the rest of the world. Here's what Jesus said in John 13, 35. By this shall all men know you're my disciples if you have love one to another. And so if we love one another, that's going to set us apart from everybody else out there because they hate each other. And we show love one for another. And that's one of the ways that we show that we are living set apart. When Jesus uses the word love here, once again, it's that same word agape. God's unconditional love. Love no matter what. Love with no strings attached. Love that's permanent. Now, we've talked about this before, and you've probably heard this before, that in the Greek language there are multiple words for love. They're translated love in English, but they have different uh, Greek uh, roots well, the world may have philos, that's brotherly love. The world may have eros, that's romantic love. But we have agape love, unconditional love, love no matter what, love with no strings attached, love that is permanent. That's what we have. As Christians, agape love is what is to define us. Agape love is to what is to direct us. And so what do we do with this agape love that we have? Well, we are to, first of all, love our God with it. Look what Jesus said here in Mark 12 and verse 30. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And so what do we do with this agape love? We love our God. Second, we love our spouses. We love our spouses. Paul writes in Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And for the ladies, look at Titus 2.4 that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. And so we take our love, we love our God, we love our spouses, we love our children as gifts from God. We love our parents. We love our neighbors. Well, who's our neighbor? Well, that's everybody else. Look at the rest of this. I read the first part. Let me pick it up in the middle. And the second uh, is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There's no other commandment greater than these. And so we take this agape love and we love our God, we love our spouses, we love our children, we love our parents, and we love our neighbors. That's everybody else. But understand this, love is more than words or feelings. Now, love is words and love is feelings. But love is more than words or feelings. It's deeds. It is active service. Love is an action. So how do we show that we love God? Well, we spend time with Him. You're doing that now, spending time with God. Also, reading his love letter to you, 
the Bible. And another way we show that we love God is we humbly submit to His authority in every area of our lives. So this is how we show we love God. How do we show we love our spouse? You say, well, I got that taken care of. I'm, I'm getting a card and I'm getting some chocolate and we're going to go out to eat. You know, that takes care of that. What about the rest of the year? I'm not talking about one day. You remain faithful to your spouse. You remain together with your spouse. How do you show you love your children? Well, by the way, not by giving them everything they want. That is not showing love for them. One of the ways we show our love for them is by disciplining them. I hated these verses when I was a kid. Proverbs 13, 24. He that spares his rod hates his son, but he that loves him chastens him betimes. In other words, when he needs it. We show we love our children by disciplining them. And in addition to disciplining them, we show we love our children by telling them and showing them about Christ. Now, it's important to tell them about Christ. But words can be empty. But when they see you acting out Christ for them, that will make the real impact. So we show our love for God. We show our love for our spouses. We show our love for our children. How do you show you love your parents? Will you be obedient to them in the Lord? Look at Ephesians 6.1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And take care of them in their time of need. How do you show you love your neighbors? Help them in their time of need. Share your faith with them. Invite them to worship with you. My friends, every action and every decision must be motivated by our love for Christ. We must be compelled. Everything we do, every decision we make must be motivated by our love for Christ. This agape, unconditional love, love no matter what, love with no strings attached, love that's permanent. Every action decision must be motivated by our love for Christ. And let me say this, if we always operated in agape love, we wouldn't sin. If we always operated in agape love, we would not sin. What's the truth, the reality? We continue to sin, which means we don't always agape. We don't always agape. That's the problem. But agape love is to be, it is our example. So we know how God loved us with agape love, unconditional love, love no matter what, love with no strings attached. Strings attached. That is our example. Secondly, agape love is our exhortation. The Bible commands us to love each other with agape love. We don't always do it, but we are commanded. It is our exhortation. Thirdly, agape love is our end game. There's your football reference from today's sermon, all right? It's our end game. It's our goal. Our goal is to love everybody Every action, every decision motivated by agape love. That's our end game. But agape love is also our eternity. Our eternity. And what I mean by that, you look to the love chapter of the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13, and the last verse of the love chapter says this, And now abideth faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. What happens to faith? Well, faith becomes sight one day. We're going to see Jesus face to face, right? So faith becomes sight. What happens to hope? Our hope is realized when we're in heaven forever. But what's left? Love. That's our eternity. Our eternity is love. Faith goes away. Hope goes away. Love remains forever. Forever. I don't know what heaven's going to be like. I mean, I know the streets of gold, and we talked about all that. It's going to be amazing beyond anything we can imagine. But I think overall, when you get to heaven, 
you're going to experience agape love. Unconditional love. Love no matter what. Love no strings attached. Love that is permanent. Because heaven is a real place, but it permeates love to all who are there. God chose to save us because he loves us. That's why he chose to save us, because he loves us. And we must choose to live saved or separated because we love him. And it is his love that compels us to salvation or to separation. His love compels us to live a separated life, a holy life, to live different from all those folks out there, especially in the area of love. And so this morning as we've taken a break from our a series on the Antichrist, which by the way, we've added now another sermon. It was only supposed to be three. Then there was going to be four. Now it's going to be five. I think we've got to stop somewhere, okay? But as we've taken that break for Valentine's week to look at love, we see compelling love this morning. Again, Paul says that the love of Christ constrains us. That means it compels us. Compelling love, saving love. Christ died for us because he loves us. And because of his love for us, that compels us to be saved. And then we looked at serving love. Christ came not to be served, but to serve. And he served in love. And we are to serve in love as well. And then we looked at separating love. We're to live for the one who died for us. We're to live a separated life, a holy life that brings glory and honor and praise to him. And especially it will be noticeable in the area of our agape love. Such that every action and decision must be motivated by our love for Christ. It's not. It's not. That's why we sin. But again, our example is agape love. Our exhortation is agape love. Our end game, our goal is agape love. Our eternity is agape love. Let's get better at agape love right here and right now. His love compels us to separation. You know, if you've ever felt in your life, nobody loves me, everybody hates me. That could be true in this life. But God always loves you with no exceptions. No strings. It's permanent. God loves you. Let that sink in and live your life according to it. God loves you. And if you have experienced that love of God, then you need to share that with a lost and dying world who thinks they're not loved. They need to know. If nobody else loves them, God does love them. And he will save them. But perhaps you're here today and you say, you know what, I'm hearing this all for the first time. I never realized God loved me. I never realized that Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sins and he wants me to spend eternity with him in love. Well, right here today, where you're sitting or later on when you stand, you can invite Jesus Christ to come into your heart. Believe that he died on the cross to pay for your sins, that he was buried for your sins, and he rose again the third day. Receive him as your Savior and be saved and experience his agape, unconditional, never-ending love. You've never experienced anything like it. You will not only experience it in the moment you're saved. You'll experience it not only for the rest of your life, but for all eternity. Receive Christ. Receive his love and his sacrifice today and be saved. And those of you who already have, share this with a lost and dying world who thinks they're unloved.
and yet God loves them with agape, unconditional, never-ending, no-strings-attached love. Share that, that they may know they are loved as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time of just celebrating your love for us and our love for you and our love for each other. Lord, we understand now we are to have every decision, every action motivated by agape love, but we fail. But that's still our goal. Help us to love like you love and help us to share that love with others. In Jesus' name, amen. If you invite Jesus,